Welcome to the Find These Times, a podcast dedicated to the easy task of tackling the 21st century. It is a project born out of my conviction that doing so requires an interdisciplinary and intersectional approach to understanding our complex world. I'm your host, Jerea Yub, and in these episodes, I bring you conversations in the intersection of politics, history, philosophy, culture, science, and all the fun stuff in between. The following episode was first published for monthly Patreon supporters. To become a monthly Patreon supporter, please head out to patreon.com slash times or check the website for other methods. You can become a supporter for as little as $1 a month. And if you cannot donate, you can still support this project by sharing with your friends and family and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The music of this podcast is by Tarabit. Here's the episode. So this is a conversation with Christopher Wong. He's a writer and researcher, and I primarily had him on to talk about an article that he wrote for Lausanne on the Tiananmen Massacre of 89. So we discussed the Tiananmen Massacre and its historical context, the meaning of Tiananmen, how we remember it, and what we erase when doing so. We discussed the 20th century as essentially having a before and after Tiananmen, more or less. Uh, we discussed the cause of denialism, in which I made some Syria comparisons as well. We then moved towards a discussion on the pros and cons of occupying the squares versus occupying the factories and so on and so forth. There's quite a few other topics that we got into. He even discussed and he proposed a sort of analysis on how to understand online tankism, i.e. the section of the so-called left that is very authoritarian and a number of other things as well. Uh, so that's it for me, folks. I'm not going to say too much more. The conversation is long as it is. So as usual, thank you for listening and take care. Um, my name is Christopher Wong. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to say unfortunately, but I'm probably better known as the Ice Must Be Destroyed guy, which is how everyone seemed to think of me. Um, I'm a researcher for Cools on Media. So I work on, I work on Behind the Bastards. I work on uh, It Could Happen Here. I work on a few other sort of podcast projects. And yeah, I also write stuff and <laughs> sort of used to be an academic and then decided that I did not in fact want to do this for the rest of my life so I became a podcaster instead which you know debatable whether or not I'm training up or down there but <laughs> well I'm doing both and I'll let you know whether that's like. <laughs> yeah okay so the the um, the main topic of, of our conversation will be around the article that you wrote for Lausanne which is uh, titled When Communists Crushed the International Workers' Movement. It's one of those titles that will, some people on the internet would love and other people on the net, internet who I don't really like would not love, <laughs> love so much, I think. But okay, so let's start with just, uh, if, you can, if it's okay, just give us some background into the piece, like what is it about uh, and what are some of the main arguments that you, that you make in it? Yeah, so the, the, the reason I wrote this is that, so the, 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 the quality of discourse about Tiananmen is really bad. And and this is true both in the sense of sort of, you know, these constant weird arguments about like whether it happened at all. But like, you know, the, the academic discourse isn't very good either. And, you know, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that on, on a very basic level, people don't understand what actually happened there. 
and and you know, I mean, this is this is true in in a couple of senses. One has is a sort of more historical sense. We'll, we'll get to that in a, in a second. The, the other one is that you know people don't understand what actually happened there, and you know, so I think I think most people have sort of an understanding of. Okay, so there's a bunch of students. They're protesting. They're in this. They're in Tiananmen Square. They're in the, in the middle of Beijing, and they protest, and the tanks roll in. Now, that the thing is, that only gives you a small part of the picture. And the reason it only gives you a small part of the picture is that, well, for one thing, but by, by by the time the tanks roll in, most of the students have left. Like hundreds of thousands of leave the square as as the sort of protests go on because, you know, the the the, the stuff those students are demanding. They're, you know, they're, they're sort of pro-democracy. Mostly what they want is they want economic reforms to sort of go faster. So they want marketization to happen faster. They want privatization to happen faster. They're sort of angry that the, the sort of party bureaucracy is not doing that fast enough. And so they, they, have, they play all these weird series of like hunger strikes and they're, they're, they're trying to play these factional games inside the CCP and, and it doesn't work. It's just like it, nothing, nothing happens. None of it works. And so, you know, and like they really weird stuff starts happening. Like, like the, the student leaders start kidnapping each other to like, so, so, you know, they're, they're fighting over control of, this, of the platform, the microphones, and like they're trying to like, like declaring themselves like the grand marshal or whatever. And they start connecting. And, it's, you know, it's a disaster. But then, you know, this is what's happening inside the square. What people tend not to know about is outside of the square, the sort of the, the, the rest of Beijing shows up. And originally, you know, it's, it's, it's just it's just one sort of ordinary people. And they're sort of angry that the government's treating the students badly. But what, what happens very quickly is that you get this enormous mobilization by just Beijing's working class. And, you know, this, this happens through. I mean, even even like like the Beijing like the Beijing's like trade unions who are you know like like basically state operated like even even the like the, the state trade unions are like this is messed up and then you start to see this sort of like autonomous worker organizing and especially in as 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 the sort of protests go on and the student movement collapses the workers movement is is you know is accelerating like you know they 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 take over this giant part of, of Beijing and the sort of like ring around uh, around the square itself and the students won't let them into the square but you know like they, they set up like fortifications they have all these barricades they're like running food to each other they have the sort of like commune appears and that's like those are the people who the army like you know that 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 that's when the army starts getting sent in and those are the people who who mostly die right like almost, almost most of the killing you know when when the tanks roll in when the army comes in like they're they're they're, they're they, they they basically like they slaughter their way through beijing's working class into the square and then once they're in the square they like they kill some more people but like most of it's already happened on the outside and there, there's there's like a couple and when i say a couple i mean literally two like maybe three accounts talking about the workers themselves so I was looking at this and, and you know, I, this this struck me as just a kind of a, 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 just a profound misunderstanding of like what was actually happening. Because, again, like the, what the, the 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 most important sort of like largest part of this movement was these workers. And so, you know, I certainly start looking at them, you start reading what they actually wrote. And, you know, it turns out like the thing that those that those workers want is they want democracy in the factory and they're very explicit about i mean okay they're, they're kind of they're kind of cryptic about that part they're very explicit about they're, they're complaining a lot about what they call one man rule in the factory which is basically like okay so you know this is this is how all of our workplaces work right like you have a boss you have to listen to the boss if you don't listen to the boss the boss fires you and they're they're, extre they're extremely angry at this and they're like oh there's a pro-democracy movement so the pro-democracy movement means that this there shouldn't be one arb guy doing arbitrary rule in the factory and you know i looked at that and i was like oh wait hold on there's like there's a whole history of, of people who made basically this demands and Tiananmen's sort of Tiananmen's like the last time this happens. And so that, that's sort of the impetus behind the article is looking at sort of tra tracing that history of the sort of like, demo like, you know, I, I kind of had problems coming up with the actual, like an actual term for it because it's, it's, it's a lot of different sort of movements and ideologies that all have as a central principle that, you know, the workplace should be run democratically. But yeah, that's, that's sort of, that's sort of the basis of it was, was trying to, 
partially tell the story of like what actually happens to these workers who are you know the sort of the majority of like who is actually there at the square and then also trying to situate them within the history of the sort of broader workers movement that they are basically the last component of right and it's that last bit that i think is one of the most interesting arguments in 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 the in the piece which is that this was like the last of something and so there is there is a you know you could it could have been tied to like with the meaning of Tiananmen essentially and I think that's one of the subtitles in the text anyway and so let me uh, I'm gonna just gonna quote you if that's okay there's a there's a paragraph that you wrote the battle between the Chinese army and workers of Beijing was the end of a century and a half long struggle between the core of the classical workers movement which advocated for democracy in the factory in the factory and its opponents uh communist fascists and democratic capitalists alike who insisted on one man rule in the factory, which is what you just mentioned. Uh, the final rule of one man, the final victory of one man rule in the factory and in uh, every other workplace forged the fundamental structure of our society, shaping it in ways we are only beginning to comprehend. It is only by placing the massacre at Tiananmen in its true context, the collapse of the classical workers' mo movement and the death of the democratic principle in the workplace, that we can begin to untangle the shifts in the global economy and the underlying changes in the nature of the working class itself that produce the modern world, end quote. But other than being really well written, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thanks. It, it is, this means a lot. Like in, in some sense, like you're, you're, you're arguing that uh, this isn't just as it's often portrayed, so I'll just say how I, I remember uh, growing up and when I heard about it, whenever that was, I mean, I, I was born in 91, so it was after, but when at some point growing up, I remember, well, you know, this tank man and something bad happened on the square. And I know that was poor democracy and the government didn't like that. That's what, that's pretty much what most people I think know. And I mean, that's not false. It's part of the story, but what you're arguing is that it's not just more than that it's not just more than uh you had these poor democracy students who were saying x and the government did not want x and it's not just that the soldiers were uh committed massacres it's, it's not just that which is I mean, important but is that it was happening in this specific context what does it tell you hey if that's okay talk a bit about that and also like what does it tell you that this isn't how like what does it tell you that the way i remember it the way what i was taught it wasn't in school even i probably some documentary <laughs> or I just googled it or something i don't remember yeah yeah but like when this if this is the main thing that people remember what does it say about what it erases if that makes sense yeah i think i think this is a sort of important point especially because you know so, so like i grew up in like you know and this, this is something like i grew up in this sort of like the chinese american community and this is like they they're the chinese american community is like like their big political thing in terms of china is like memory and they had this whole thing about how like we have to remember what happened we have to remember what happened, we have to remember what happened. the ccp is trying to erase history we have to remember what happened and they they have no idea what happens they, like they have no clue like none of this stuff no 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 none of, none of them know any of this stuff and and i think you know when, when when i was you know when i was in college i was studying stuff like this too and and i kept running into there, there's a few times this happens so like almost almost exactly this the same all the same arguments all the same like stuff that's happening all the same sort of liberal misinterpretations all of the same sort of like authoritarian misinterpretations this all happens with the, with the Hungarian Revolution in 1956 and again with the Czech Revolution in 68 and and the, the more and you know and actually and you know if, if you want to look at it again like almost exactly the same thing happens in Spain for the for the Spanish Civil War and I think you know what what it's about is that. You know, it's it's very important for everyone whose main political principle, and you know, and they they, they will never say that this is their main political principle, but it's something that they, I mean, they like you know, liberals or sort of like reactionaries, like they, they won't explicitly ever say 
or social democrats they won't explicitly ever say that the thing that they believe is that there should be a boss in the factory who runs production like they won't say this right they, they won't say that the, the fundamental basis of their political principle is that you know that that the workplace needs to be governed by a set of hierarchical logics blah blah blah, blah. but you know it's extremely important you know and, and the reason that we don't they won't they will never talk about this is because it's you know enormously damaging ideologically for anyone to go hey wait hold on why is there democracy in one sphere and not in democracy in another why is you know and 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 this means that whenever whenever one of these movements breaks out there's this immediate attempt to make sure that like nobody actually you know no no nobody remembers that there was another possibility and you know and this this is not the only movements happens to like the non-aligned movement which has a lot of even more problems than the sort of democratic movement like is also like this where you know like there's this whole just sort of attempt to just erase it from history and make sure nobody remembers it and but 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 i think this specifically you know with with when you when you look at like the hungarian revolution in 56 it's you know you 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 have you have these two sets of superpowers right you have the you have the u.s you have these free capital superpowers and you have the ussr and neither of them, you know, so the, the, the U.S.'s whole thing is, okay, so we, we have democracy and we have capitalism. The USSR's thing is like, okay, so we, we have social, we have like socialism, we have communism, we have, you know, whatever they're going to call the, I think they, I think they're calling people's democracy by that point. But it's like, okay, so we, we, we have this sort of social system. We have all these like safety net stuff, but there's no democracy. Right. And so both sides, both sides want it to be impossible for there to be a, a faction that is like, you know, essentially pro-socialist and pro-democracy at the same time, but like, you know, in, in, in pro-democracy in the sense of like, you know, we should democratically decide how we run production, how we should run this stuff, you know, and that that is extremely dangerous because when, you know, when 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 people start to, is, is, you know, across, this, this happens sort of across the sort of course of the 20th century is when when people start to ask these questions, you get these enormous revolts. And, you know, th this is a lot of what's happening. I mean, th this is a lot of what sort of Bay 68 was. You know, this is what the sort of the, a lot of the, like, the, the, the workers' parts of the uprisings in France, uprisings in Italy, and uh, China's kind of a weird case. But, you know, in Czechoslovakia was, okay, wait, why, why don't, why, why is there not democracy in the factory? And, you know, and, and, and this is, you know, th this sort of leads into another part of this, which is that, there's this 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 is you know this is the, the sort of specter of this is something that like haunts both sort of the soviet and the american ruling classes throughout this entire period and they they you know the the, the soviet ruling class responds to this by basically sort of imploding and the american ruling class responds to it by just setting out to just like obliterate this stuff completely from the historical memory, making sure that nobody remembers it. like this was ever a demand. This was ever a thing that was possible and also sort of restructuring society in a way to make sure it'll never happen again. And so I think you, you, you get this sort of, you, you get this sort of this, this, this place where, where memory and sort of history and the sort of the memory of the historical record and, you know, the sort of what, what, what people actually were demanding in a given period of time runs into these, this sort of ideological barriers. And, you know, it, the, the actual memory of the event just crumples in the face of that. And I think that there's also, there's also one other thing I should mention, which is that, like, so the, the you know, I was talking earlier about how sort of the, the worst repression, like, falls on, like, falls on the workers. And, you know, some of the students make it out. And, and that means that, you know, the, the story of Tiananmen 
that's you know that you get in Hong Kong that that in you know in the story that sort of spreads. And, you know, and part of this also has to do with the fact that, like, the Western press is, like, you know, the Western press is, like, in Tiananmen Square, right? So they're watching the students. They're not watching the workers. They're not watching any of, what, like, that part's happening. And that means that the, the people who tell the story are, are, the, are the surviving students. And the students really, really did not like the sort of working class factions at all. Like, they wouldn't let them into the square. They were, like, incredibly sort of, like, elitist and sort of hostile to them. And, and, and that, that also has a, a really big part in shaping... The narrative of it and then you know and it's further shaped by the fact that this is one of, one of the weird things about Tiananmen that also like doesn't get talked about much is that like so some of the students get killed but like a lot of them get rehabilitated and like go back into the party and so you know the the, the sort of institutional memory right of the event on the Chinese side is also is also from it's from it's from sort of the, the soldiers and it's from the students and so, you know, you have on both sides, it's the memories are dominated by the students and they and that they they were always sort of like they're kind of like elitist technocrats in, in, in a lot of ways. And so their view of it was obviously, of course, like, oh, what, what do you mean? Like, what, what is this like democracy and the factory stuff? Like, what we don't we don't like this. Like, we're just we're just, we're just, we're just going to like write it out of history because, you know, it's just, this it's it's, you know, inconvenient to us. And so. Yeah, you and that that and the product of that is the sort of popular memory of, of Tiananmen, which is that uh, Tiananmen's you know it's about democracy. Uh, some students died, and then you know it was bad, but you know the, the workers just get written out of it. And and you mentioned how like the so like you talk about that period between roughly April fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine, and June fourth, nineteen eighty nine, more or less like the transition from one world to the next one way that we can think of what came after 89 roughly 89 19 1991 more or less depending on on where we are in the world and in some in some periods uh, in some places a bit later um is that it became like basically structurally more difficult to have democracy at, at the factory because if you start mm -hmm. demanding that the company often can basically say well i'm just gonna move across the border, I'm just going to go there, I'm just going to go, you know, etc. And this, you know, we broadly identify or we broadly call this neoliberalism these days um, has made something like uh, it is one of, one of the reasons why I think you separate between essentially like there's a before and after, you know, a before and after a Tiananmen, before and after the 89 more or less, basically. The thing that's difficult for or a number of things, one thing that I think it, it's difficult for a lot of people to think about that as before and after although i i agree with you is that the before can also seem pretty bad so if because often yeah. when we think of yeah. the cold war it's often portrayed i know it's, it's of course wrong and we can talk about that but you know us ussr essentially and a lot of people will have issues with the us model but usually even more issues with the ussr model and so it's seen you know that oh well this is basically the lesser of two evils and of course, there's a non-aligned movement and there's issues within the non-aligned movement, which for this is kind of a, a, a simplification, but has reinforced the notion among many, not everyone, that, well, it's not working there either. So it is really about either this or that. And this is the one that won out at the end of the Cold War, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one thing. The other thing, which I'm not saying is good or, or I mean, it's wrong. I disagree with it. But I think it's, it's how I used to come at it essentially when before I kind of did more reading let's say the other thing um for me Tiananmen is very like on the um, maybe more emotional side of things I'm not sure but it's it's 
I think of it in along the same terms as uh, Sarajevo or uh, Syria more recently and ongoing, essentially. Not that these are the same events, they're not very different contexts and so on and so forth, but in, in the sense of how something gets remembered and not remembered, and who gets to remember, and how often or for how long would survivors, for example, of, of when we talk about, about Sarajevo or Srebnica, etc., how long would they still have to fight battles of against the nihilism, which in that in the Bosnian case is very much still ongoing, yep. as, as we know. And in the Syrian case, um, which is slightly closer, although it's still a very different context to Tiananmen, I mean, um, for me, what's incredible is that most of the time, even amongst people that I uh, consider as having good politics or just uh, meaning well, let's say, they just mean well, most people still don't know much about the first year or two of the revolution, like the local councils, the, the what are they called in English, the local coordination committees, LCCs, LCs, and so on. Uh, they may, um, some people on the kind of like anti-authoritarian left may know more about Rojava, for example, uh, which is mm -hmm. good, you know, that matters. But f for the most part, either they don't know about what happened in 2011, or they basically say, well, there was some good stuff that happened, but it was soon crushed. The thing is that it was, that is true, like it was crushed, and it is still being crushed. But I still think that a lot happened. And in those months, essentially, when in the case of Syria, uh, in the case of, of Tiananmen, it was a couple of months, I believe, April to June. In the case of Syria, it's uh, more or less a year, year and a half until uh, when the militarization of the revolution started taking over. And then, of, of course, with the crackdown, which was already happening, started even intensifying even more. But they had managed feats of what we might call mutual aid, although no one was calling it that. They were just calling it local councils and local coordination committees and other terms. And some people who didn't even use these terms, like they were doing it without joining any kind of official quote-unquote thing. Um, they were doing this on a pretty, pretty significantly, like on a, on a pretty mass scale. And that is, it's what, what, what interests me for a long time that just tired me. So it was just tiring for me to think of how this is being ignored and erased and so on. Now, let's say in the past couple of years or so, it's what interests me is how it affects people who actually participated in them or people who knew people who participated in them. And this is the bit that is often not talked about as much in the sense that they get to almost, it's almost like they, on some psychological levels, maybe subconscious level, and I've had conversations with friends who like even had like loved ones forcibly disappeared and stuff telling me at times like they have to it's not that they forget that this happened but in certain um settings let's say online on twitter or even when they go to meetings or protests or whatnot it's almost like they have to remind people that this is still their experience that their experience hasn't changed and what the link with between that and Tiananmen for me and you tell me if this makes sense or not um is, is kind of that is how memory in itself can be weaponized. And it just so happened that the guest I had on before you, it obviously, which would be out by the time this episode's out, uh, Su Suzanne Kane, she wrote this book called Nothing Happened History. And it's basically about when we say that nothing happened or nothing changed, or I don't know which other examples, we're usually actually talking about something, right? We, we're saying that we're dissatisfied with the lack of change in, in, 
and that usually is because of an expectation that we had for better or worse and so um for me Tiananmen reminds me a bit of that like a lot of people will say well they did all of this and then nothing happened in the sense that you know no reforms came or uh, there was no recognition of what the workers went through so on you can kind of go down you know there's a go down the list essentially this transition from one world to the other which obviously wasn't an overnight thing it wasn't it wasn't even that we can uh, pinpoint and say this is what before meant and this is what after meant it's more like a spectrum in some sense at least that's how i'm visualizing it how how is it for you to sort of how does it feel if that makes sense or when you are in situations where you are talking about Tiananmen and the meaning of Tiananmen and all of these things, what are certain obstacles that you feel that you're facing either ideologically or emotionally, or I, I don't really know whether from you or from the other person that you're having this conversation with, or maybe you're just observing certain conversation on the internet or what have you, what are certain thoughts on your part on that? That's an interesting question. I think, I don't know. I mean, I think, I mean, Tiananmen I guess it's kind of cliche, but Tiananmen is like extremely emotionally charged, right? Like, you know, I mean, I think, I mean, this is one of, you know, so my family like came, like, you know, wasn't in, like, was, it, well, okay. So, I mean, some, some of them were in China, but most of them were in Taiwan. The people who were in China were in like, like inner Mongolia while this was going on. So we weren't directly involved, but like, you know, a lot of the diaspora, like, like if you like, I don't know, like I have friends who are like, yeah, I mean, like, you know, one of, one of the things that will happen every once in a while was like, yeah, if you, if you have if you have like a parent who was in China at that point, like every once in a while, they'll like, there'll be like, they'll make an oblique reference to like, oh, yeah, people disappeared. Like, oh, yeah, like uh, there were tanks in the streets. Like the, you get this very, you know, and, and, and it, 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 it has this really incredible psychological effect on on the people who survived the people who sort of watched this stuff happen it like you know it, i think like in the american context there's there's this thing that i think some people know about which is about like the people who lived through the great depression like they like act differently than people who didn't where like you know they like they hoard stuff they have all these sort of like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah like they, they had there's there's sort of this there's still this like sort of like psychic like like psychological resonance of of, of this event and that's still there for Tiananmen, but but I think I don't know. I, I I think I think one one of the reasons I I, I think that 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 you that the denialism is you know sort of the, why it sort of uses a tactic is that it it focuses everything on you know did something happen or did it not and and you mm -hmm. lose. You know, you, you lose the ability to pull out and look at like, you know, what both both okay, you lose the ability to sort of to, to zoom in and focus specifically on on you know on a very, 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 very like individual level, like what this did to people. And then you lose the ability to sort of zoom out and look at like what you know what was possible and then what the effect like what the actual sort of effects of this were. And I think you see this, you know, with with, with serious, like yeah, you know, like the the series is a very explicit example of this where you have the denialism at the same time as like you know, these councils are being bombed out of existence by, like, by Assad and by sort of the sort of, like, right-wing Islamist groups. And, you know, and it, it becomes this, like, denialism is, like, like, it's, like, it's, like, the third bomb, I guess. I don't know why, I don't know why it's third specifically, but it's, like, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's something that after, like, after you've killed these people, then you can sort of make them never have existed. Yeah. You can make 
what they did never have existed. And and this in the Tiananmen case, I think is 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 very very important because you know the other thing that's important about Tiananmen is that and it's something I talk about in the piece that like Tiananmen is basically where the old Chinese working class dies. And you have you have you know it, it, this working class has been changing. I mean, constantly, because, you know, I mean, this is just, this is how history works. But I mean, you know, this is like the, the working class that's that's there in Beijing that day. Like, that's the same working class in, in a lot of ways that was, you know, like that, that, that was in Beijing in 1925 when, they, you know, they're doing these general strikes against, uh, against the French and the Japanese and the British for their occupation. It's, you know, it's, it's this is the same working class that like basically ran the nationalists out of the city in like, in, in, you know, in, in 1925. Like, it's the same working class in Shanghai that like, you know, like ran ran the CCP out of the city in 1967, and Tiananmen's you know Tiananmen is the last is like that working class after Tiananmen is destroyed completely. It doesn't it doesn't exist anymore? Like like it it it's it's literally replaced by a, basically a different working class that comes from you know that this, this sort of like I mean there's 270 million of these people now who this, this sort of migrant this enormous like incomprehensibly large. This is like this is like the fourth largest country on earth, right? Like 270 million migrant workers. Who are mostly from rural backgrounds, but some of them are sort of moving from city to city or from town to town. But you know, it's this it's this enormous sort of labor migration, and and you know, like that that becomes the new Chinese working class. And the reason that be, that becomes the new Chinese working class is because the old working class loses and is completely destroyed. And and part of part of what you know part of what the nihilism is is making sure that nobody remembers that that's what happened. And that, you know, and it's, it's about burying that class. It's, it's about burying the group of people who, you know, I mean, like I have this, like, I think like the Chinese working class in the 20th century is the most militant working class on earth. Like they, they overthrew, like, I mean, they, they, you know, I mean, they, like they, they, fight, they fight the British, they fight the French, they fight the Japanese, they fight the nationalists, they fight the communists, they fight the communists again. I mean, they, they fight basically everyone. And, you know, they, a lot of the time they win. And, and that, you know, and, and and making sure that 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 sort of that class doesn't exist anymore, making sure that they, you know, not only don't exist anymore, but like like can never reform is like you know that that's one of the biggest things that, like that 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 you know that this this is why the this is why they send in the army, right? Because they have to you know they have to like just fully actually break like the sort of power of this class, and this is this is what's happening in in a lot of the sort of, you know, like this is what's happening in Syria too, right? I mean it's it's you know it, it's in you know one of so one of the, the the one of the things that sort of set me on this project in the first place was looking at how sort of profoundly different the 2011 revolutions were from like any of the other revolutionary cycles like cuz you look at 1968 you look at like the stuff even the stuff happening in 1917 you look at like 1936 in in Spain you know the the thing that happens when there's a revolution is that everyone goes and they form a workers council Right, like they, they go into their factories, they form councils, they start managing production democratically. And you know, in 2011, it's like everyone goes to a square, and you know, it's like they'll, they're they're still doing democracy, but they're not. But it, it's you know, it's it's sort of distended, distended from the workplace. And you see this in Syria, like in in Syria, the, the sort of the, the democratic revolutionary form is like like it's these it's these sort of these councils, so like social councils, and neighborhood councils, and you know. And you know, and and you, you see this in very similar to Tiananmen, like everyone is immediately like this has to stop and starts killing them all. And and I and I think you know this is you know and this is like this is this is the sort of this is the continuity before you know the, the like quote unquote before and the quote unquote after is that like you know ev- everyone who's engaged in these struggles to sort of 
bring democracy into sort of any kind of sphere where it didn't exist before, like they get murdered. But what what's you know, and and, and the, the sort of like the 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 the, the way that memory is weaponized, like that stuff is all very similar because it's you know it's the same kill. Like the, the 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 people dropping the bombs and the people like rolling the tanks in are the same people, right? Like they're 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 they're, fu- they're fundamentally the same the same class. It's this this it's the, the ruling class is like it's the same, right? But what what what's different is is the resistance to it, and you know, and and, and that that's you know that that's part of what Tiananmen, you know, part of the reason that Tiananmen's interesting is because you have a bunch of people calling for democracy in the factory, but you know, they're, they're, they've left the factory, right? They don't form factory councils. They form, you know, they, 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 they form this sort of like commune in the streets and that sort of commune in the streets thing is what, what, what the sort of like, you know, what, that, 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 that's, you know, that, that's what all the 1911, the, the, the 2011 like struggles were. And so, you know, it, it, it becomes this kind of, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, this is what I was talking about. Like, it's a transition from one world to another. It's, it's this sort of, it, it's, it's the moment in which you see the sort of two, like, forms of revolutionary struggle of the 20th century and what, what becomes the, the forms of the 21st century sort of fused together. And you know, and it's, it's, and the, 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 the sort of response to it's the same. But, but you know, you get <laughs> kind of jumping around here. No, it's fine. Um, it's fine. I was gonna say like. Um... What's interesting for me, the the whole, if we think of them as two different um, models in some sense, is that both of them have strengths and weaknesses in some ways. And ideally, mm-hmm. ideally, we would have both of them, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the weakness with the square first approach, let's just call it that, uh, which was in the case of Syria, more of a like almost an instinctual thing, uh, just like mm-hmm. it was the place to to meet up. Um, the weakness with that is, is I suppose very obvious, is that everyone's in the same place, everyone in yeah. the same location more or less, and it can be vulnerable to to attacks because of that, and which is which is what happened. Um, the strength of that is this whole mixing of people from different backgrounds who may not have seen really each other at least not talk to one another in quote-unquote normal circumstances and non-revolutionary circumstances let's let's say which was the case in syria the whole like well we're all from different sects different background all genders blah blah blah. the strength of the factory oriented strike the strike let's say approach is that is that it it's it's a strike <laughs> it stops things it it forces those that rely on on production to continue the way it is to start paying attention because otherwise they wouldn't and the weakness is usually related to time and resources is is having to do this for a longer long enough period of time that it changes things or it breaks things or it you know transforms things or whatever and that's often what happens, or a lot of the time what happens, other than being directly confronted by the cops and the army, which is, of course, what also happens. So that's that's sort of how I think of it, is that both of them have strengths and weaknesses. And rather than, as some people on the left that I, I can think of, have kind of taken this view, of, uh, for me, I describe it as like, you know, a... a a view from above of just being a holier than thou and saying, well, the Arab Spring did not have enough factory strikes and etc. And therefore it's not meaningful. For me, it's it's more interesting or more valuable even to 
look at well why why was that the case where were the trade unions in the case yeah. of syria they were crushed uh by the Assad regime and so you know and so on and so forth and i think i i can also see Tiananmen's um the meaning of Tiananmen to kind of use that terminology also in in similar context i would say why did it take the form that it take why did it happen in 89 what was the context and so on and why did it why is okay then we then know why is it remembered the way it is then we can talk about it but why did it happen the way it did as well it would be for me an interesting conversation as well yeah i i think you know i i think this this is one of the other things that i was looking at of you know i think the in so far as like you want to look like if you look at like the the biggest thing that changes that that like Tiananmen is the lessons and stuff is that like you know people uh, okay so so Marxists are going to get extremely mad at me for this. Marxists have this concept that they call it the class in itself and class for itself. And so like the class in itself is like, okay, so there, there are a group of, there are sort of like objectively a group of people who depend on selling their labor for a living, right? And so like that's the class in itself. It's like that's a class that exists in the world. But then, you know, there's something called the class for itself, which is when the class, the group of people who do that recognize themselves as a class. And, you know, but like that's basically an identity Right, like, like there, there, there is the sort of like objective, quote unquote, whatever. You know, there, there are the group of people who do this, but it's also, you know, in order, you know, you have to, in order to get them to think like that, like that, that's, you know, that, that, that's this process of identity formation, and, and that's what kind of stops after, after Tiananmen is that people don't think of themselves as workers, and th- you know, this, this, this is part of a, a long project of, of sort of. You know, the structure of this collective identity, and, and you know, one of, so I, one of the, one of the sort of key things of this was i was talking to vicky vicky, vicky osterweil about this and you know she, she had this line Sorry, i don't remember I, i'm just smiling because vicky's the next guest yeah oh wait she is, <laughs> she is, she is yeah. <laughs> oh that's so cool yeah yeah so she I, I don't remember if she's the one who came up with like the darker gora as as the way to talk about this but you know she, she had this point about how the, the reason that you get fact struggles in the factory and specifically the reason you get struggles that involve taking over factories and running them democratically is that the factory is this kind of like it's this kind of social. It's a darker course. It's kind of it's this kind of social. It's a social meeting place, right? It's, it's this place where you bring a bunch of people together, and their identity is formed by the fact that they're there, by the fact that they're all working together, by the fact that they all live next to each other, by the you know. And and it's you know. But on the other hand, like it's it's not like you know it's not like a truly democratic space. It can't be because the the, the point of it, like the point of the factory, is to exploit your labor in order to make money. And you know and and. But, but, you know, th- this is, you know, it, it's still an incredibly, da- and, it, you know, th- this also happens with like the structure of coal mines, for example, particularly conducted to this, or so the, the sort of logistics um, process, especially the early 20th century, you have a bunch of people who are forced to work together in like incredibly sort of confined conditions when they have their own sort of degree of autonomy. And th- this, this forms this kind of, you know, th- this forms this, this sort of very powerful social identity. And you know, the, and the, the the social identity that's the forms is the basis of you know, and you, you actually talked about this sort of like the, in, in two thousand eleven, like the instinct is is to go into the squares, right? It, before, you know, before Tiananmen, Tiananmen's last instance to this, like the instinct of the working class, even even when there's very little political education, the instinct of the class is to go into the factories and seize them, and that you know, and 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 the 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 you know the the, the, the whole sort of like counter revolution after nineteen sixty eight is about making sure that never happens again. Is that making sure that 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 instinct is like just beaten out of the working class and you know and people have been trying to do this with just pure force for like a hundred years and it just didn't work and, and eventually 
what sort of does work is, I mean, geographically and physically separated the working class, like kicking them into the suburbs, uh, you know, sort of immiserating the actual conditions of, of the factory itself. You know, you, you, you there, there's this whole sort of like any time the sort of identity becomes strong enough, you know, you get with the sort of logistics revolution that allows you to bring like shipping containers and stuff from China, you, like the stuff gets sent over, jobs get sent overseas. And, you know, and there's this whole, yeah, there's this whole sort of informalization of, of the economy. And, the, and, you know, and there's also, there's this whole system of trying to turn workers into small business owners that's both, both, both practically and ideologically that's extremely effective. And, you know, and the product of this is that by the time you get to 2011, you know, the, the, the factory as a site where like a bunch of people can come together, like doesn't exist anymore. And so I mean, even 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 in places like Egypt, where you have like very strong trade unions, like they don't, you know, like the, the, the trade unions never like at any point try to like occupy a bunch of factories. Right. What, what they what they what they do is go into the squares. And, 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 I, and I, th- I think the reason for that is, you know, and, and is, is what you're dealing with is partially a working class that's had that's had the identity of worker beaten out of them and then you're also dealing with a bunch of people who've just been spit out of the labor process like altogether you know you, you have enormous number of people who are unemployed enormous numbers of people who are like in these informal sectors who are sort of like scraping by like you know i think like the 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 the, 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 the american example is like you know the like, like every any any time you're on like a subway there's like a guy walking from car to car like selling boxes of candy like, like that guy, that guy is someone who's been spit out of like the, the sort of the, the, he's been spit out of the sort of like normal labor process and is now, is now in this sort of enormous informal economy. And, you know, and, and those people also, you know, like what, if you, if you're, you know, if, if you're the guy selling candy on the train, like what, what, what are you taking over? Right. Like what, what, where is your factory? Like there isn't one. And, you know, and, and, and this, this gives you this, you know, this, this gives you this sort of square and the square is an attempt to sort of reassemble some kind of collective identity. And yeah, it isn't like there there are real strengths to that. There's weaknesses to it. And and I but I think, you know, like there there are strengths like the so the 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 sort of like the sort of democratic workers would be like their their biggest problem. I don't know, eh, I don't know if it's biggest is the right word, but like okay, the, the, the their their biggest problem mostly is that like they're constantly outgunned and they can't really, they don't really have the capacity to fight a guerrilla war because they're, they're sort of restriction of bases, the factories and you can't really like, it's, it's really hard. If you, you can do it. Like the, the Italians did it at dream world war two a little bit when, when they're, when they're fighting like the sort of the, the parties of resistance, like it's, it's a mess, but you know, so the, 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 the biggest problem is they're constantly outgunned. The second problem they have is that they, you know, because they're completely centered on just the factory or, or the coal mine or sort of the, these things is like, as a center of work, they're really bad about like domestic labor and domestic production. And, you know, they're, 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 like they, they have a huge feminism problem. And so, you know, and I think like part of what the sort of, you know, the part, part of like the shift out of the factory, the shift out of the workplace, like it, it, like it is like, there are parts of it that are really good in that, like, you know, you 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 start to get a, fo- a focus on you know like the home. You start to get focus on sort of you know other other parts of the production process that aren't just directly inside the factory. And you know and and there's 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 a thing in Algeria, for example. I, I talk a bit about the, the Algerian movement where 
so like af- after the uh french basically pull out of algeria like there, there's all these empty factories because a bunch of the sort of French people have left and there's some other complicated stuff about people sort of expelling like bedouins and stuff but like you know one of the things that happens is that you know so you get you get all these people and they, they all you know they all take over the factories that are running democratically but like they they won't let migrant workers like join the sort of like cooperatives that now own the factories and you know and you you have these sort of tensions because you know the 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 the, the, the sort of democratic factory stuff like it, it's a politics of place in a lot of ways too and in some and sometimes that becomes very hostile to people who aren't in the sort of traditional labor process who are sort of like you know who are you know like, like people who are migrant workers people who are sort of outside who are you know in the informal sector and you know and i think actually like that's the difference between the sort of like like i think you see this less with like like with the the the, the sort of like the, the 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 versions of this that are explicitly anarchist have less problems with like spain which have, like have less problems with this because anarchism has always had a base has like has always had as a social base like those people like people like specifically like migrants travelers or vagrants like that sort of like people people who are mobile have always been sort of like there's always been a sort of anarchist base there but like you know in a lot of the sort of marxist versions of this you get that kind of stuff and you know and i i think one of the interesting things about the stuff in colombia that was happening over the over the been happening for the past about three years now it's two two three years yeah, two um years. yeah yeah two years is you know they 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 were trying to overcome this by you know they have, they have this they have this thing called the social strike the social strikes like well okay so we have a bunch of people you have like labor unions going on strike we also have just a bunch of people just like from the informal sectors, we have a bunch of indigenous people. We have a bunch of just like random people. We have like we have a bunch of women. We have a bunch of like we have we have all we were you're trying to you're trying to like bring together all of these different sort of like sectors, and then put the put them on sort of uh, like uh, on these sort of barricades and roadblocks, and it like it worked out. It's kind of I mean it was it was sort of effective. It wasn't enough to like bring down the government, but you know I guess like that that's that's I think been how people have been trying to deal with the sort of problems that both the sort of like the square model not having access like the square model not not having the ability to actually like take over production and then the sort of the 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 the, the, the workers council model excluding an enormous part of the population who aren't like workers in the classical sense yeah and i mean the examples that you gave i mean i went to this conference a couple of years ago um it was like an anarchism studies conference in, in the uk and I remember uh, one of the presentations was about how uh, sections of the the um, I, if I, I might get this wrong, but I think it's broadly accurate. But like sections of the Spanish uh, CNT at the time, like the trade unions and the, the just the confederation, um, were depending on who, like some of them were actually also pretty hostile to to migrant workers, for example. And so the 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 idea is to or the I think the conclusion should be in in all of these situations that, um, you know, being a victim of something doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be good on everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't it doesn't give you moral powers. You know, you're, you're still a flawed human being, and you will still have these things that are. You you can still have legitimate grievances and also be part of the problem in in another circumstance. Let's say, yeah. Um, this isn't directly linked to to the to the conversation on Tiananmen, but as I you know as people know by now, like the podcast kind of just goes everywhere, <laughs> uh, and that's fine. Just on on how do you say it? 
the so again i'm gonna just guys use the the vague formulation of the meaning of chan and man just because it's just it's huge and well done better um how could it have been different not in the sense of okay the army could have not massacred people when <laughs> this is obvious but how could it have been different in the sense of people remembering it differently in the 90s or early 2000s let's say one thing that i'm, I'm thinking of for example this kind of thinking out loud is that because and this is probably my own trajectory like i'm from the night i was born in the 90s whatever and for me, the thing that defined essentially the past 20 years is like 9-11 and then invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan yeah. and then war on terror, et cetera, et cetera, which you know, for most people, for a lot of people anyway, uh, you know, this will sound familiar. I'm wondering basically is that for a previous generation, like I don't know, your parents' generation, for example, maybe, would they view Tiananmen in those same terms? Like the thing about 9-11 is that often or a lot of the time most of what we talk about is everything that came after like what it meant essentially and what it led to and the consequences and obviously the war on terror and the invasions and everything from that to isis to what have you kind of you can jump around i mean obviously with the recent if the the the, the fall of kabul and the victory of 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 the, of the taliban and so on victory in quotation we'll see how that goes but whatever um <laughs> You know, it's still basically it's in the ether. You know, people are still talking about it. It's still kind of like now. I, I the I can even think of something as as seemingly mundane as the 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 Guardian Weekly's headline. I remember it was like the end of the American century or something like that. And the reason why they they said that is because of of um, the 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 spectacle aspect of it of here i'm talking about the fall of kabul the spectacle aspect in the sense that it reminded some people of you know those images of the fall of saigon yeah and i'm using american terms here but like you know the whole helicopter is taking people you know and it mm. ends up and that ends up being a lot of like that that's sort of what gets into the history textbook if you see what i mean yeah if there if there wasn't Tankman, for example, maybe even that wouldn't have. And I'm of course I'm calling him Tankman because that's the word used. But whatever. Yeah. You know, you know, I wouldn't. Many people, I think it's fair to assume, wouldn't have remembered or thought even of Tiananmen as being of any kind of significant um, event in history. And even that is problematic, of course. Um, had it not have had it not had sorry these. Uh, journalists in Tiananmen or people filming uh, Tankman and the image, of course, becoming becoming the symbol and so on and so forth. And he said, like, this isn't, it's not a very well formulated question, but like, how do we deal essentially, or how do you deal, or I don't know, with this question of symbols in the sense, in, in by, by which I mean, when something is at risk of becoming a symbol, are we losing something in the process, if that makes sense? I don't know if any of this made any yeah, sense. Yeah, no, no, no. I think, that, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, I mean, some some person had a really good line about this, and I've both forgotten the person and the line, which just makes it kind of useless. Ama amazing, <laughs> like, amazing. It's great. <laughs> you know, but I mean, like you said, like in the US, like this is, you know, this is what happened to Martin Luther King, right? Like everyone, you know, Martin Luther King becomes the symbol and then, you know, and, and like, like not just on the left, like not just on the right, like the right obviously like has no idea what he was talking about. Like the left also kind of just like tends to, has this tendency to sort of cherry pick stuff from it. Yeah, and I think this is like you know, I guess the the way I tend to look at it is like, I guess trying to figure out why and how it happened. 
So with Tiananmen, you know, I think I think a lot of of Tiananmen was that, you know, but so so, so okay. So there, there's this whole part of the Cold War, right, where China is like, you know, I mean, China, China is an American ally in the Cold War from starting in around 19 this yeah the negotiations are beginning in like in the early 1970s and by like by like the mid 70s the u.s is just straight up an american ally and you know that's that's, those other famous kissinger going to china yeah yeah because he's going to china and then also you know i mean this is you know this is this is this is one of the reasons why china invades vietnam in 1979 and so, you know, and you have you have this like 20 year period where China, China's doing market reforms, allying with the US, that they've reopened diplomatic negotiations with everyone. And, you know, China's like, I mean, this is, you know, I I I don't yeah, I, I've talked about this elsewhere, and I can't remember where elsewhere it was, but like, you know, there, there's there's this moment where like like in Red Dawn, right? Like the the, the only two countries that are fighting the Soviet Union, <laughs> like like Europe is like allied with the US, like the only the two countries that are fighting the Soviet Union are the US and China. Right. And so, I mean, China, China is, you know, China, China is seen as a sort of ally. They're seen as a sort of like market society against the communists. And then Tiananmen happens. And, you know, and, and it's like, like, you know, th- th- there's a lot of, you know, okay. So it, it is, it is very easy for the American press corps to look at just a massacre, especially the massacre that's happening in East Asia and go, this is fine. Like most of the American press corps just like did not care when Indonesia like killed all the communists. Like this, this happens a lot. The one thing you can't, and you know, this is like this, like if you're an American client state, you can you can kill like basically any number of people, and it doesn't matter because you know the press will sort of, sort of like cover for you because you know this is this is this you know this is the sort of like the the power of hegemony, blah blah blah. blah. The one thing you can't do is you cannot like you can't kill like pro U.S. pro democracy pro capitalist student protesters in front of the press corps. Like that's, that's that's like that's the one thing you can't do. And the other the other part of this is that like, you know, a, a lot of people in the press who are in Tiananmen are like, you know, these are people who like, like some of these people like were were like were you know these are people who were like teenagers in '68, right? Like, you know, who sort of you know who who they're teenagers in '68 who sort of like turn to the right, but you know, like this this is like like the, the, the thing in Tiananmen, like this is their like perfect revolution, right? They can like they you know they can look back and they can like they can project themselves onto these kids like in a square, right? It's like oh this is this was like well, this is what we were doing in the good old days, but like, you know, th- these people have like an actual righteous cause unlike us. And then China just kills them all. And, you know, that is, you know, and that, that was always like the, yeah, the, this, this image of tank man, like that was always going to sort of produce a thing, but you know, it was it, the reason it was going to, it was always going to produce an image like this is because this is like, this is like, like just in, in terms of a media spectacle, like this is like the perfect thing to sort of to cap to capture the western press corps and they do right and, and you know and, and but you know but this this, this is where you get into the problems because the, the the version of tiananmen that they're capturing is the version that they want to see and and that that version has completely shaped just everything that's going after it and you know this is this is this is how this is how the workers get completely written out of it this is how like the the like the weird authoritarian tendencies of of the student protesters gets written out of history because that's you know inconvenient to these journalists who are like hey look at these guys these are like and you know and this this is the version like that's that's the, the version that that's the version that gets filtered into sort of the other you know this is this is what gets filtered to sort of the, the broader sort of Chinese diaspora and there's there's this other thing that's going on here where 
you know, this is, and I think that like the, the more conventional reading of Tiananmen, if, if you're going to place Tiananmen in a sort of military context, is Tiananmen is the last of the sort of, it's seen as this culmination of this sort of like, you know, there's this wave of pro-democracy movements and like they, they you know, they, they finally succeed in South Korea and they finally win in Taiwan. And then, you know, and everyone looks at China and it's like, oh, this is the next of those movements. But, you know, it, but, but it's not, right? Like that's, you know, that, that's how my, like my, my, my family like remembers it like that. Like, you know, it, it's in the, in the context of pro-democracy movements, in the context of the fall of the Berlin Wall, like in that context. And it, and it, and it's just sort of, you know, but, but that part loses, you know, that, that loses the part of that struggle that was about, um, you know, like that, that, that was about democracy in the factory. That was about something else, like more than just sort of this like very narrow sort of liberal conception of democracy where democracy is something that like you know you, democracy is every four every two years you vote for someone who rules you and then like you know and that that and they they the the, the, the the person you elect in power now rules you and then also like you this none of this literally ever extends to the economics you're like that that whole challenge is just gone and, and this you know and and i think like if, if you want to understand so Tiananmen, like I think, like the 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 arc, it's it's not in that arc. The arc of Tiananmen is 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 in the arc that's sort of like that that stretches back through sort of the workers' movement, and then I think stretches it it it, it, it like stretches forwards into. I guess it's called the Pink Tide now, although that's not really it. It, 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 it I think it, I think it, it it becomes. You know, so the Zapatistas like in, in their revolt in the 90s sort of kicks off like a second, like a, a wave of the new left in, in Latin America. And like those people mostly aren't doing exactly the same thing, but you know, they, you know, they're, they're you know, they're, they're, there's, 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 there's been a bunch of indigenous movements in Latin America and the nineties and two thousands is when they like, like they start taking power and they start actually like, they start like, they start, they start bringing down governments. They start, you know, there's, there's all these revolutions in, in, uh, in Bolivia, in particular, has a bunch of them. There's in Ecuador, um, famously, yeah. And you know, this is this is one one of the you know the, the sort of arc I was tracing. Also, like it, it runs very heavily through Argentina because Argentina, like Argentina, actually has people who are like occupying factories in 2001. That they have this. There's this huge crisis. There's this IMF debt crisis, and people are trying to read on the government. And that one's really interesting because Argentina has like a bunch of autonomous Marxists. Like a, a weirdly large number of them, who are you know people who are you know sort of connected mm -hmm. to the, the the struggles that are happening in 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 uh, in Italy in the seventies, and you know so so they they go back into the factories like one more time, but they kind of end up forming co-ops, and and there's there's this, there's this really interesting history there because you know like. Like I and I, I think like you know if you want to take like a final like a look at like what the arc of this whole thing was uh, the arc of Tiananmen, the arc of sort of the, 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 the sort of resistance in, in, in the 21st century is that so occupy like the, the, the term occupy is taken from is, is taken from Argentina, but in, in Argentina, in the very beginning of it, it's like they they're occupying the factories and then it kind of moves like diffuses and, you know, and like they, they start to, they're, you know, once you get to like, like you know, you you over to Brazil. I'm not well. I mean, Brazil sort of has this with landless workers movement stuff like that. But like Bolivia, um, 
in particular, like they have a bunch of occupations, but they have occupations of like, like they're, they're taking over like municipal water services, right? Like it's, it's not, it's not, you know, like it, it's in, in Argentina, like it is sort of framed as a workers' movement. And then that like framing, if it fades and people stop, stop occupying factories, start occupying like municipal water things, they start like taking control of things and sort of on a sort of, for on the, you know, on the basis of like the community instead of the working class. And you have all this sort of stuff and you know and, and you know like and that term moves like the term occupy like moves into the sort of american left based on the based on argentinian example but then you know like the us's big occupy movement is they try to occupy wall street and so now now you've moved completely from like occupying the factories which is like malatesta's thing from like 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 19 like 1921 right you've moved from that to you know we're going to go seize the center of finance and they can't do that and so occupy turns into like into holding public space and like that that i think is like it is in a lot of ways like emblematic of just what sort of has happened throughout this whole throughout, throughout this whole sort of process and what like what you know what should have been remembered from tiananmen is that like it like it's the it's, it, it is the, it's the transition point between these two things right like you have a bunch of people in the streets talking about sort of like you know talking about workers democracy but they're not in the streets right they're i mean they're not they're not in the factories they're in the streets and then you know, as as this moves on, right through through sort of like like through 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 2011 through sort of the modern period, like it the the whole sort of you 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 get like the total and complete collapse of the kind of like workers identity that that had, that had like caused people to occupy when you know caused people to say when you go occupy when you when you occupy something you're occupying a factory and that goes to sort of now you're occupying a park now you're trying to occupy like you know you're trying to occupy Wall Street you're trying to sort of you're trying to sort of it becomes about reassembling that like the, the the sort of identity that that had been formed and was sort of lost when you know and in in, in in when when like in 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 that final hour of of the sort of classic workers who've been like like you know when when all of these people get slaughtered like that's that's sort of the end of it and yeah and everyone sort of is living in the sort of consequences of that you're right and another consequence is like describe it as um the de- democratization of finance as being the new well, i mean the example of, of occupy wall street i suppose is one of one one example of that in the sense that the thing that we in we in quotation broadly define here are opposing has become in itself also less defined it's become more uh decentralized in many ways i mean it, it is decentralized in the sense that as we said before, like the, the 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 nature of the working class changes in the eighties and the nineties. Uh, well, that's a broad statement, um, and it becomes ever more difficult to organize, partly because of that. And I think one of the legacies of Occupy. I was pretty young when it was happening. I remember it as more of an aesthetic. I actually remember mm-hmm. it as like I rem- for me when I think of Occupy when it was happening uh because like soon after i was everything in my world was dominated by what we now call the arab spring obviously mm. but before that um i think of stuff like ad busters and yeah yeah and stuff like that which a lot of it and and ended up actually going to pretty problematic territory yeah yeah and it's it's it was all because of the the vagueness of stuff like v for vendetta and how this became a symbol and mm-hmm. you know and so on and so forth it's kind of a discussion in and of itself and i, I don't i don't necessarily think i'm the best person to to talk about it but one thing that i have noticed which i think is fair is that 
I'm not necessarily against the aesthetic. I'm I'm kind of still on the fence about everything about these things. Some part at some level, I feel like you need some color. If that makes sense, you need some yeah, some yeah. some art, some aesthetic, something. And I'm so I'm not against that at all. And we saw some of the nice one of the one the reasons why those of us who participated in the October stuff in Lebanon in 2019 and. Part of what was allowing people to sort of maintain what one former guest, Lena Munzer, who I've had her on a number of times, she described as a high, like we were basically all of us high, collectively high mm. in some sense. Yeah, yeah. It, that, was, that was part of what was allowing that to happen. The humor, the... the um, yeah, I, I don't I don't really know how to how to describe it. I don't really know. It's, it's, it's not very palpable in some sense, uh, in some ways, but... I do. It's almost like we've now we have a lot of that and not much of the let's strike aspect of things, you know? Yeah. And that's that's where I'm more like, I don't really know. It's it's just very easy for a lot of people to just go on Twitter and condemn a protest for not being radical enough or whatever, whatever that means, which is what a lot of people do on Twitter. And for yep. me, it's a, it's a waste of time. But I, I also having had having participated in at least the two biggest ones in Lebanon and knowing a lot of people from Syria and, and elsewhere who have participated in even bigger stuff and m more difficult stuff. I don't quite know what to do with that question, if that makes sense. The question of like, how serious should this be? If that even makes sense. If the word serious is the correct term, because I'm not quite sure what it is. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's like, I mean, I think, you know, this this is, like so like a lot of what occupy was like 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 vicky was one of the people who was like originally at it and you know and, like it was like one of the things that i got like from her descriptions of it and from david graber who's also one of the like the first people in the one in new york is that it's like they were kind of like importing stuff from different places like like vicky talks about like oh hey we can do uh, we can do the like the Spain the Spain like occupation of the squares here, and David Graeber is talking about like, uh, you know, oh, we we can we 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 can have an Argentina here, and it's like like it's this attempt to I think like like solve solve the problem of like what what do you how do you actually change anything in 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 a place where like you know the the sort of like in 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 a world in which the sort of collective identity that that used to drive people to do things is just gone and and it and it's weird it, it gets you to these it gets you to these political roadblocks it gets you yeah i mean i think to the sort of aestheticization of, of politics that becomes like it's kind of double-edged sword because like on one hand like it lets it spread but on the other hand it's like so what actually is like you know like what you know you get this sort of like kind of incoherent like this very incoherent populism and i don't really know what this sort of answer to that is like I don't like I don't I don't think like a return you know because this is the thing in the seventies right it's like all these people who are like incredibly serious revolutionaries and like all the incredibly serious revolutionaries like start doing armed struggle and like you know and the product of all the incredibly serious revolutionaries doing armed struggle is like the uh, what's it called the uh, uh, United Red Army in in uh, in Japan just like murdering each other over like incredibly bizarre doctrinal squabbles or like you know you have like. Uh, 
the the the, 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 the weird like urban guerrilla groups in like West Germany is like you, you get the United Red Army and it's like it's it's like you get, sorry, you get you get the Red Army faction in Germany and like all these like weird kind of bombing things like it, I don't know it, like and that stuff also just like didn't really go anywhere so it's like I I I don't know and I think I think this is I just just when we this is the, one might argue because I I have I have thought about this specific aspect because. It, this is a very random um, factoid that most people don't know, but uh, so it's the Japanese, so it's the JRA, uh, the Arab JRA, some of them after the, the Lord Airport. Massacre. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's, yeah. So um, for those who don't, I mean, I'm not, it's not that important, but the, po- the, the point is that um, there is an aspect in which even that can become an aesthetic, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the the authoritarianism that ends up growing within such movements as that one is pretty, I think, notorious example of it. Um, it it I went so I'll I'll mention how I first discovered reading it. Um, discovered them is that I met one of them. I met one of oh, one cool. of the members who's in. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> because there are a few of them who are still in Beirut, <laughs> and. I spoke to that person, I, and to be honest, I this might sound weird, but I wasn't particularly impressed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's putting aside, I didn't know what they particularly did, so I don't know if they mm-hmm. committed something bad. Uh, like yeah. because some of yeah. them did commit pretty horrible stuff. Yeah, uh, most didn't, but like some of them did, and so I didn't know if it, that he was one of those persons. But there was a sense that I felt well. It's almost like I need to. I don't know, like, I'm not, I can't ever be in that group in that sense. Like, mm-hmm. there was an in-group, they all know one another, or they at least know what, like, they know of each other's reputations, and that become an aesthetic, and it become an aesthetic that is now past. Like, you know, yeah. this is something that they did in the 70s and the 80s, essentially, and that that sort of carries them on to the 90s and 2000s and, and mm-hmm. whatever. And so the reason why I'm not as harsh, maybe if that's the term, towards aspects of even the Lebanese protests, for example, that did feel at times like they were too aesthetics oriented, like as in there wasn't enough of concrete action or demands or what have you. Even even saying that, I don't know what that would look like. I don't know what is enough, if that makes sense. But clearly there was some kind of lack. It, it, it felt obvious. But I'm not as harsh towards that because I also think that just a lot of people are just very disoriented. Yeah, yeah. This thing, it's it's kind of everywhere at this point, and yeah, it's it has so many different roots, changes from context to context. I'm sure I'm not gonna have any kind of like, you know, too too generalized statements here, but it's part of why I I sort of and this is me kind of taking a step back from even my previous self in some sense, where I was too judgmental about some of these things, and I. Don't I don't like people shouldn't shouldn't get me wrong. Like we should still be critical. We should critique. We should be like um, mm-hmm. that's not what I mean by harsh in that sense. I just feel like we should also work just as much, just as hard, if not harder, to actually come up with alternatives that we complain. Yeah, that yeah. these people aren't doing, if that makes sense. Because I think yeah. a lot of people are doing what they think is the best. And what they think other people think is the best, like going to the squares, as, as I said, like this instinct of going to the squares. And most people do so because they feel like if they don't, then they're not actually doing anything. Mm-hmm. And my take in some sense, 
which is a relatively recent one, past couple of years, since the October Revolution in Lebanon, is that that is if that is a problem, then we should be working towards trying to find what the solutions to that problem yeah, is. Yeah. That makes sense. Like figuring out how to do that is like that that that's just our job, I guess. <laughs> you know, I, I was reminded of this probably my favorite Marx quote. It's from uh, it's from 18th Premier. You know, he's talking about like he's talking about how all of the sort of people in 18th Premier were trapped in this like like all the people in the, the French Revolution 1848 were all trapped in sort of like the memory of of uh, of of the French Revolution and how you know like there's an extent to which which you know, taking up the sort of mantle of previous revolutions is helpful, but, you know, it becomes this trap. And, and he, he has this line uh, where he goes, the social revolution of the 19th century cannot take its poetry from the past, but only from the future. It can only begin with its, it can only begin with itself before it has stripped away all superstition about the past. The former revolutions require recollections of the pa- of past world history in order to smother their own contents. The revolution of the 19th century must let the dead bury their dead in order to arrive at its own content. There, the phrase went beyond the content. Here, the content goes beyond the phrase. And, and I, I think it's like, I don't know, it, 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 there's there's a lot of parts of it. The guy was a good writer, I think we can deny. Yeah, yeah. When, 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 when he, you know, <laughs> this, this is sort of an autonomic complaint, but like, you know, if you look at Capital, it's like, when Marx is actually trying to write poetically and write clearly, he can do it. We know he can do it. Like we we know he can say the things in capital clearly because we we have value, price, and profit. Like we know he can do it, and he just decides not to. It's just like it's just as decided that he's no. We're it, it is important that we do this in like the densest and most like incredibly esoteric German philosophical way possible. Yeah, but you know, by you know, I, I think. Part of it is also, you know, I mean, like I, I was thinking a lot about this when I, when I was writing when I was writing the piece because, you know, I mean, there's this thing about, like, you know, the the revolution to the nineteenth century must let the dead bury their dead in order to arrive at its own content, and there's this like, and I think in some ways that that becomes this sort of. You know, I, 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 I don't know. The, 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 there's there's this whole sort of aesthetic trap that like you know this is like what tankyism is like tankyism in a lot of ways is just, it's basically just an aesthetic right like it's it's this sort of like kind of now na- it's, it's, it's this kind of like nationalism it's like part nationalism part aesthetic around sort of like you know what 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 the, what the sort of 20th century revolutions are and it's like at some point like you know you have to let these people bury their dead right like you, you have to let you have to let these revolutions die because you know they're they're also gone Right, and you you can't sort of move beyond it until you've like you know you you can't do anything new until you sort of like you you've let that stuff die and like that and that's you know I think part of you know and, and like I, I think about this a lot with with the sort of you know with with the way that like like the the sort of liberal and even like a liberal and conservative sort of like Chinese diaspora's politics have become just about like memory entirely where where. You know they're all about memory, but they, they they can't even remember it right, and they can't. It, it completely prevents them from ever doing anything because they're they're stuck in this sort of like they're they're, they're stuck in this like imagined moments of, of Tiananmen that they can't they can't see properly, they can't sort of analyze properly. Like you know they 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 haven't 
you know, they, they're stuck in this version of the past that never existed. And, and I think that that's a problem for a lot of, you know, I mean, for sort of everyone, right. Where it's like, we, we sort of, we sort of lost our ability to like imagine a future. And so, in, you know, and partially communism always has sort of been about like a sort of recollection of the past and recollection of things that used to exist. But like, I don't know, we, we, we completely lost our ability to, you know, like we lost our ability to imagine a future and we lost our ability to sort of draw anything that could be different or new, even, even when, you know, I mean, even, even when things that were like new happened, right. Like, you know, like the U S last summer, right. Like people burned down police stations, people like, like Donald Trump, I keep saying this over and over again on every podcast I'm on, but like Donald Trump was in a bunker and people were fighting the secret service hand to hand at the gates, of the white house, like, you know, like stuff that like, has like, like just like has never happened. In, in the history of the U.S., happens right, and and we we can't we can't even process it because we're sort of lost in this like like this like haze of you know this sort of like imagined past that we're all trying to get back to, and I, I don't know what the answer to that is, but well, I, I don't think there is one answer anyway. Yeah, the as it happens, like so last year after the 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 explosion in the port of Beirut um i think like a few days after or something i was giving this i was on on this other podcast the arts of travel by by matt marusian um who who is a former guest as well and i he asked whether like the future looks a bit like lebanon did back then mm-hmm. and the thing is that on some level it does on some level or at least that it's a very concrete potential reality for parts of the world that hasn't experienced that haven't experienced that yet yeah. The other thing is, um, well, I mean, you're involved in that as well. Like the, it could happen here uh, stuff. The, the yeah, podcast, yeah. the the whole crumble uh, metaphor works quite well for that uh, because it wasn't a one day. Th- I mean, the explosion definitely was. It was a few seconds thing. Even it was an extremely quick thing. Um, but the the aftermath of it is we're literally talking, and it's still happening. You know, like. There, yeah. there is go- it's going to probably take quite a lot of time before one can say, well, this is done. Like this is, well, now it's something else or whatever. We're still very much in the aftermath of that. And for me, the difficulty is, I mean, it's on many levels other than emotional and personal and all of that. It's also like what can be done in a situation like this? Because a lot of, a, a, often what ends up happening is our focus on the Lebanese example or the Lebanon example is either you try and implement a solution that you think is going to work for everything and it doesn't. Yeah. And and I'm saying you try and implement, you don't have the resources to implement it in the first place, but you, you try to, you know, that the emphasis on that, or you give up as many people have. And the thing that happens then, this is what interests me the most. And this is this this is my own personal transformation in the past couple of years or so. And that's partly due to the PhD, because I study memory. The PhD is that I study memory in the past and how people remember and how people experience the past, uh, how people experience time in general and, and focusing on, on Lebanon, obviously. And what interests me is that whenever we think that we're giving up, or whenever we think that, and this is a super broad statement, Whenever we think that, uh, like, this is rock bottom, this is as bad as it gets, what it usually entails is that we then are too tired to do anything about it when we discover that it's not rock bottom. Like, yeah. we, we, we got to the point where 
like the the helplessness in some sense is is heavily is is highly political yep. and my point or what i'm trying to do which is not easy and for now it's basically through the podcast and just thinking about it out loud and maybe writing some stuff down essentially is what do we do with that helplessness what do we do with that um hopelessness even if not helplessness, maybe hopelessness mm-hmm. is the best term i don't i'm not sure and this is something that i remember a lot or i still think about a lot because it it was the week that preceded the october revolution in lebanon was the week of wildfires that was throughout the country and parts of syria as well yeah and it it was horrific unfortunately now it's even worse and that i i remember very well it was like uh october 16th or something like the day before i was at a cafe with a friend and we were talking about the ongoing the then ongoing wildfires and we were talking as if this is the worst that things can get now we were saying that this is yeah. as bad as it gets and there's no point anymore like that was a kind of a depression essentially hitting us and the next day was the revolution and it, it's it's quite i think even vicky mentioned something like even lenin was writing in the early to, something yeah yeah 17 saying nothing's gonna happen in my lifetime or whatever and putting aside Lenin here uh like it, <laughs> the point is that our expectations are always wrong and yeah they're I, always I wrong because sorry yeah sorry they're always wrong because a huge part of it is probably due to that mark score that we are at the end of the day were the results of our own experiences and our own experiences aren't usually very well geared to the future it's like we're actually trying to deal with the past all the time if that makes yeah. sense yeah I, I remember was saying, like, yeah there was like there's like a very similar thing in the u.s where like i remember like you know so right before, right before the, the summer uprisings like it's like it's three months of covid and it was like the worst like you know like that was it was a period where like like you know it, it was it was covid it was like it was the lockdown it was also just this like like the worst anti-asian racism i've ever seen just everywhere like you know like people are getting stabbed in the streets like people are getting acid like it was like you know it was, it was just like everyone was just like you know it's also you know it's also the sort of like trump effect like everyone was sort of just like well we're screwed like and then you know yeah like just on on a dime something there's just there's just like this one week where like you know like like the cut that like like the, the the police are fleeing a precinct, like in, in you know, in, in like I, where I'm in Chicago, like there's there's this there's this like shopping district that's like you know it's like the miracle miles, like this this giant thing, and like it's like it's looted, like the the cops lose control of Chicago, and like you know and like it, it, you know I, I think in some ways like that was like you know and, and and then you know like after after it sort of calms down and after like especially after Kenosha and after the shooting there and after sort of. You know, you have this, you have this, this sort of cycle around the election that's like pacification cycle, and you know, like the the you like the marshals start killing people, and you know, and like suddenly we're back to like a very similar. Not, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if it's worse here than it was before in the same way that it is in Lebanon, but it's like I, I feel like there's this sort of like, I don't know. I mean, like we're about to have like several billion people get evicted like this this yeah like i think like that cycle is you know it's it, it's it's happening yeah yeah it's, i mean it's like the, and it's 
it's like there was a moment last year that it's like we spent a lot of energy on it or whatever. Yeah. And now we're still recovering from that. And it is, it is, I, I try as much as I can to, uh, what happens in America is so, it's such a massive place. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a, lot, <laughs> a lot of things happening all the time and, you know, some good, a lot bad, etc. And um, one thing that I do find um, interesting is just that again, is the whole that, we are almost always wrong about when to anticipate yeah. an event. And I'm putting event in quotation here. And you know, we can we are we can be a bit better if we know like certain factors, like we know that things are bad in Lebanon. So whenever people ask me, Do you think there will be an uprising? Do you think there'll be more protests? I tell them, Yeah, probably. Because it just makes sense. It's just it's yep. probably gonna happen. Now for how long and how and in what, you know, uh what like what form it takes I, I i don't know i can make educated guesses but that's that's as far as it will go and one thing i did want to get your thoughts on you didn't mention it a bit already the whole phenomenon of online tankism usually i i've been trying as much as i can to basically ignore it on the internet yeah. i just don't reply yeah. and stuff like that but talking about it can be more productive because i think it confuses a lot of people that aren't as well-versed in their yeah, world let's yeah. say one thing that i've uh, i've re recently a number of friends um all palestinians as it happens uh, were very surprised that there were so many in, i'm putting so many in quotations because in numbers they're not that many but they're just super loud and active on the internet um like acidists and tankies and so on they were just surprised that they would say something that for them they didn't think they didn't they didn't expect that it would even have a backlash, like condemning the Assad regime, mm -hmm. and there would be a backlash. It surprises them and everything because they they I will I will paraphrase one friend who who I won't, I won't name her of course, but she was very struck by how um, almost coherent their worldviews are internally. Like they were they were speaking a, a certain language that they were all speaking. Basically, she went down a rabbit hole and started clicking a bunch of their links and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and she she was struck by how almost almost coherent it's not always coherent but almost coherent their world is uh when they're because they're mostly speaking to one another essentially and everyone else is just black and white essentially and so with your own experience like you know feel free to say as much as you want to say on this and to kind of go back to the Tiananmen uh so that we so we kind of go back to the beginning in some sense and have a nice circle how do you view the 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 how is Tiananmen discussed in those in those circles other than just denying everything which is what they usually do and what what do you think like just talk about it <laughs> like how how, how yeah. do you understand it and for those who don't know try and explain it if that's okay yeah you know the funny thing is like I, I, part of the reason i wrote this piece was because i was like sick of arguing with these people and i was like i'm specifically going to write a piece that's not for you Exactly. Like, this is I, think, like, I think that's the best thing to do, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, you know, and they still got really mad at it. But but it's funny because it's like, you know, they talk about how it's like it's almost consistent, but like it, it can't be fully coherent. And the reason it can't be fully coherent is that because is because, you know, so like the, the realization I had about this a couple of days ago is that that what what tankyism is basically is that, you know, so, so the, you know, the, 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 the rallying cry of 2011 revolutions is people want to follow the regime. Right. And you know, okay, so you, you you have this, and then the regimes go, okay, how how do we stabilize ourselves? 
right? And, and what tankyism is, right? And, and this is the same thing in some sense that like that 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 what fascism is is tankyism is a way to convince people that people actually want the regime, that like the regime is safe, the regime is sort of like the regime is the only thing like standing between you and the like Islamist barbarians. Like it's like this is you know this is this is sort of what it is, and it, it plays into this sort of like. You know, I mean, it plays into the sort of like this affective guilt thing, which is a big part of American politics. And I think a lot of this is to do with the fact that like nobody, the, the American left specifically just has not ever processed the fact that like a huge majority of the people in it like used to be Christians and they, they never dealt with like this guilt crap that like comes out of sort of, like, yeah, of, of, of like space, especially just to like absolutely like like specifically like the American Christianity in particular has this like, like this, you know, like, like, you know, it's, it's the like American Christianity. Like if this is, this is this, this, like, you know, these are people, these are the, this is the slave religion, right? Like these are, this, this is, this is where like a lot of it is born from. And, and this stuff, like, you know, and it's like, they, they never, so they, they won't engage really ever with sort of like left-wing Christianity. And then the, simultaneously they won't engage with the fact with how much their views were being shaped by by the fact that they they never quite left this right-wing Christianity. And so, you know, you get this guilt stuff and like this is, you know, and like a lot of it is sort of is, is white guilt. It's guilt also about sort of being Western and they're never, they never, they don't have a way to process this. And so what they do is like, they they basically put on a mask. Like what Tinkyism is like, it's, it's a way to put on like a brown mask over sort of you know like I, one day I'm gonna write a piece called uh, white skin brown masks that's about like these people just you know it, but like it, it, calling yourself a tanky is a way to sort of you you can like invoke all of these like struggles by like people across the world who are like not white and you can you can wear it and you could be like oh hey like and and, and you know and the, and the second part of it is it lets you anyone who disagrees with you you can go like oh you're you're white and it's like if they're even 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 if they're not white like it gives you the ability to like strip people of of their sort of like non whiteness and like project. It, it lets like a white person project their whiteness onto someone else who disagrees with them. Oh yeah, and, I, I've been called like a white orientalist by yeah, by white yeah. Americans. Like, I, yep, and, yep, I give it to and, like, and, and I don't know what to do in that situation. Like, I don't know how to answer to that. Yeah, it's like what? Well, yeah, and, and like this is the sort of yeah, it's like they're, they're you know because it's like it's, it's not it's not really a politics in some ways. It's like it's an affect and it, it's 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 an identity. And. You know, but, but and Tiananmen's a good example, though, of, of you know, as a politics is completely incoherent because, you know, okay, so there, there's 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 like there's like three versions of the sort of nihilism they do. One is that nothing, like it never happened, no one got killed. That one is kind of falling out of favor because you can't sustain it. Like it's like ridiculous. Like the CCP admits that things happen there. Like the second one is to say that nobody died in the square, and like. Okay, and and this is this is where everything falls apart. And the the, the third one, the second one is no one died in the square, and the third one is uh, it, the whole thing was the Russian black color revolution, and it was, so they was good to suppress it. And the latter two are are you know point to the incoherence of this because, like, yes, it it is true that most of the killing happens outside of the square, but that doesn't help you. Like, like if, if you're if, if you're supposed to be a socialist, right, that doesn't help. Like the fact that the government did not kill the, 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 the liberal pro-capitalist students, but instead killed the workers who were anti-capitalists. Like, you know, I mean, and, and, and this, you know, people talk about this, like the, the, the workers and like the workers in the streets are quoting Marx, right? Like, you know, and those are the people who the CCP kills, right? It just like just murders them. And, you know, and so the, that part, like. You know, the, the, you start to see how this policy is, is actually incoherent. Like, what, 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 what is your actual justification for 
why they murder all these workers. And so they, they just stop talking, like they disengage. And the third thing is about, and this, this is the line that the sort of modern CCP is taking, is like, well, this, this was an early color revolution. And we, we defeated the color revolution because we defeated the color revolution. We didn't end up like Russia. And it's like, you know, and, and the, the thing about that is, again, is this comes back to the thing where the, the, the student protesters got reincorporated into the party. And it's like, you know, and then and then you know the students the students get reincorporated into the party, and then the CCP proceeds to carry out exactly the economic reforms that they wanted. So it's like, yeah, like the students won, right? Like they 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 got what they wanted. They 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 got to go be party bureaucrats, right? They got they got to go run the economy. They got to just like, app, they literally it like it, they destroyed the, an entire class, like they 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 completely destroyed the Chinese urban working class. Like it, it just was completely annihilated as, as as a class as a political force. But then like, okay, but then. You know, and like that, that happens, right? But then, like, you know, if you're a tanky, you you still have to say that this is socialism, and it's like it doesn't, you know, it it, it it everything just comes apart really quickly the moment you like pull on any threads. You know, like the other one, like you know, like they have a lot of, like the reason I talk about also is like a form, kind of form of nationalism is that they 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 they, they spend all this time sort of like rewriting a coherent version of the past, but it's like it's not like. You know, like these are people who claim that both China and, and Vietnam are socialist, and that China, and simultaneously that China is not imperialist. And it's like, well, they invaded Vietnam. Like, what? Like, what? Like, like they invade. Like, that's like that's like that's the most, like, other possibly other than invading Afghanistan, it's like the most imperialist thing you can possibly do. And so, you know, it, it all it all starts to fall apart. And like, I mean, there's there's another example of this where they're all pro Gaddafi, and it's like, and they're they're also they're pro Gaddafi and they're pro Sankara at the same time. And like, Gaddafi like helped overthrow Sankara and helped the U.S. invade Iraq. It's like. It's God. I'm just like getting annoyed. But it's like it, it, it's 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 almost consistent, but it can't be because, like you know, it's it's really just it's really what 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 it really is is sort of it's a naked defense of the regime, and the regime is not a coherent thing. Like they these people like they they don't like the regime doesn't have like an anti-imperialist politics. It doesn't have like a coherent sort of, sort of like like the only politics it has is being in charge. And you know the, like the regime quote unquote will like they'll overthrow other people who are like also the regime. Like they'll you know like like Gaddafi will do his heel turn and like ally with the U.S. for thirty years, right? Like like he'll he'll be taking pictures with Tony Blair, you know. But they can't deal with this and. You know, like they 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 refuse to accept that any of it's happening, and so you know, and, and the the other part of it, I think, is that like it's kind of a grift, and it's a grift by like a few different groups of people. Like you you have you have people who run the PSL, and they're doing this because basically to like fund their sort of vanity presidential runs and just like really horrifying abuse. And then there's like there's like the gray zone people, and you can want like, the gray zone people right now are like fully doing anti-vax. Like like Max Blumenthal is like like Max Blumenthal is turned into one of those guys who like is complaining that YouTube won't let him do a live stream where he yells at his coworkers for not being anti-vax enough. Like you know, and, and part part of also is like you know, it, it it it's this it's this it's this thing where people sort of saw where the winds were blowing politically. Like, like they saw you know in 2014 2015 when when the revolutions are dying. Right. They saw that the world was sort of drifting into into more authoritarianism. It was drifting right. It was drifting into sort of this this like this sort of morass of like just you know the right wing authoritarian like patriarchal politics away from you know the, the the sort of revolutionary like liberatory stuff. And they were like, oh well, we could sell this on the left too. And so they did. And, you know, and the, the consequence of this is you have a bunch of these people who are extremely well-funded, um, 
And then also, you know, they're, they're extremely well-funded, they're well-coordinated online, and they just like literally all they do. And, and, and the other thing I think like is, it's like, it's, it's a way to pacify people. Because like, if, if you believe that like China is socialism, right? You don't have to do anything. You can just sit there, right? You can, you can sit there and do nothing. And eventually China will sort of liberate you, right? You know, if you believe that like, there's like all, all you have to do, if, if you believe that like, I don't know, like, like that, that like Vietnam is socialist, is that like, all, all you have to do is sit there online and yell at everyone who says it is not because that, that'll, that'll stop the CIA from overthrowing them somehow. I don't know. And it's, it's, it's frustrating. And I think just like, I don't, and I, but, but, you know, I, I, I think, I think that's also why, like, why they're so focused on Tiananmen is that like, you know, like they're like they're, they're kind of they're they're these people are like they're the mirror image of sort of the liberal press right like they, they care about the same things the liberal press does but they, they have the science reversed but it's it's also important for them that nobody reads Tiananmen in the context of you know of the sort of 20th century workers movement because you know because if you again if you read it for the context of the 20th century workers movement like the CCP is on the wrong side <laughs> and you know and it's but it's, it's extremely ideologically and sort of like personally important to them and it is important to their their ability to sort of like make themselves less white and less western that you know nobody understands what actually happened there and nobody understands what the potential of it is and what the sort of horror of it was yeah the and quickly on that so we don't spend too much time on it yeah sorry (laughs) Uh, no 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 it's I, i mean i meant it for me um like to like one thing i think is also very um clear that they are they are a war or whatever uh, i've blocked most of them but like emotionally invested in delinking syria and or libya from the rest of the arab spring for example mm-hmm. yeah and not that they spend too much time on the rest of the arab spring anyway but in the sense that there is something very uh, unsettling for them uh, the fact that, especially in 2011, uh, Syrians and Bahrainis and Libyans and Tunisians yep. and, you know, yep. whatever, were sort of doing the same thing, uh, were sort of asking for more or less the same thing. In Bahrain, it was more reform-oriented than revolution-oriented, but whatever, like, you know, it, which would already have been a big deal in Bahrain. And for me, the the more interest. I mean, th- this it, it, there, it is interesting on some level to understand why these phenomena happen and how someone can ha- can be so ideologically extreme, uh, regardless of reality, essentially. And that's, you know, the, regardless of whether they call themselves left wing or right wing, like at that point, it's, it's almost like they kind of echo one another. But for me, what's more interesting also, like the, these past couple of years, the stuff that I've been trying to do more, more frequently, is see how this affects the people that are that are technically being talked about and the most obvious example that i can give of uh give is like me interviewing um when i was still working on global voices a few years ago like members of the white helmets in syria and a number of them had no idea that there was this online insanity going on while they were just you know, helping people on the ground and saving people from under the rubbers and whatever, because they didn't have time to look for that shit. And a lot of them were like actually puzzled. And they, when I told them like a lot of it is uh, Russian government disinformation and that sort of thing, it kind of clicked and said, oh, well, okay, well, then, you know, it it fit into a story in that sense. Like, you know, well, they're bombing us. So obviously they're going to spend a lot of online resources doing propaganda. That's what, that's what governments do when they invade places. 
And so for them, that that made complete sense because, well, there there is this imperialist power, imperialist thing, and we are the victims of imperialism. And, you know, there's the online dimension to it. And at the same time, a lot of the people that were joining this online imperialist campaign or like the online dimension of it, let's say, were people on the left and people on the far right at the same time. And yep. right now, what we have is, for the most part, the left-wing politicians, in I'm talking about Europe, uh, for the most part, don't do much Assadism anymore. They kind of don't don't think about it anymore. But it's the far right that has continued. So it's the Front yeah. National that's in Damascus. It's yep, that, yep. that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I will try whenever I find the energy to do an episode that is entirely on this. Uh, yeah. But for now, we'll, we'll kind of we'll say goodbye to the tankies. Yeah. Well, can, can I say can I say one more thing about that? Sure. Though? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, okay. Like, I think the, the, their whole political project is is a product is a product of sort of the collapse of the last revolutionary cycle, right? And part of also what they're doing is getting people to ignore the fact that like we're in another one, right? But like, I them and I think it's the sort of social the sort of kind of rightish social democratic politics that emerges in the U.S. I think that's all fading. And like, like, I, th- and I, th- I think you can see this because, like, like, the, like the the in in the sort of gray zone pivot to anti-vax, right? Like, I they're all, all of the sort of American left, like, like all the sort of all of their podcasts, all of their sort of media stuff, like, it's all it's all going under. Like, there's been this like when when the sort of Bernie campaign failed and when, you know, like when the summer uprising happens, like they, they didn't they didn't know what to do with it, and they complete they compl- like the PSL like like actively was like like fucking over people in in sorry am i allowed to swear on this i'm sorry <laughs> okay yeah yeah you're like, you're <laughs> okay they, like they're just like like they, they like they like actively were like working to fuck over the protest in, in like philly right and like it got to the point where like just random people and like r- like p- random protesters in philly were like they would see psl signs and they would like attack them in the street because the psl had like led them into police traps and they were like co-opting stuff and like i i i i, th- I think they're on the way out like they, their their politics is declining you know, like they they can't maintain like this this this, this you know the, the, it's too incoherent. Like the the they can't they can't maintain their sort of media engines in in the way that they had before. And you know, and it's not as it's it's not you know it, it doesn't necessarily mean that people who replace them are going to be better, right? Like you know, there's there's the U.S. has produced like even like stunningly even more vaguely left wing grifters are like moving into. But you know, like I I don't I don't think. Like I, these people aren't going to be around forever, and they're they're not going to be in control of the left, and they're not going to be the people who actually, like in in the next in the next like five years, right? Like they're not going to be the people who are driving anything that happens. And I think that you know, yeah, like you know, if like if you know, like that, if if that's yeah, it, it's a, politics. Yeah, like and and I think that's a like that's something that's important to remember for a lot of the people who who spend too much time you know trying to dunk on them or whatever i'm not and i'm not gonna you know it's none of my business whatever you do with people whatever <laughs> people do with their own time as the whatever um <sighs> like but i do think like your article for example for laosan sort of uh i don't know analyzing thing in 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 a more uh slowed down analysis in some sense is as important if not more important and uh, you know, I'm I'm not pointing any fingers. I've done it a bunch of times, and it's just for me it's something that I've tried to reduce in the past. Again, a year, a couple of years. Me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it it is important. I do think like doing that is what then would allow would allow a piece a piece like Lausanne, like the one that you wrote for Lausanne. Um, okay, well, 
on that uh, note of hopeful note that of thank you is uh, fading, fading away. Uh, what are three books that you would recommend uh, for our listeners and uh, why? <laughs> pitch it, pitch, pitch the books. Okay. Um, I think that the first one I'm going to talk about is called Rhythms, Rhythms with Patrick Hootie. And it's, oh, I, for, I just realized I forgot to send you the link with the, the books. Um, I will do this after. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's called Rhythms with Patrick Hootie. And it's about, it, it's, it's by someone who is in. So basically she, she, she was in a Marxist group, like with the current, like Bolivian vice president. Like actually, he's not. I guess he's no. Uh, uh, he's actually out. But yeah, he's, he got. He was. He was. Uh, he was. Uh, Eva Morales' vice president, and like you know, and, and they they sort of they broke in two different directions, right? Uh, uh, you know, the 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 wing that takes the wing of this that sort of like kind of Marxist group who, who allies themselves with Evo, like that takes power, um, sort of breaks towards developmentalism, and then there's another wing that breaks towards sort of. A, a, I guess you could like the potential of a sort of like indigenous ecological politics. This is a vast simplification of what's going on here. There's yeah. And a lot of this is, is about sort of the conflict between different sort of visions of what indigenous liberation is. Yeah. But, but it's basically it's Rhythms of the Pachacuti is an account of roughly from 2001 to 2005, this, this enormous series of social conflicts and what, what are genuinely revolutions that, that break out in, in Bolivia where, you know, people, People like they block every road, like in a bunch of indigenous uprisings, like uprisings happen. They block every road in the country. They starve out the capital. They bring down multiple governments. There's these all these intense battles over sort of over water, over over natural gas, over over, over control of these resources, over whether it should be community controlled or sort of corporate controlled against privatization, neoliberalism. It's, it's 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 really this. It's just and it's it's just absolutely this incredible account of the potential of that moment of what people were doing in that moment of of this sort of now kind of forgotten struggle that was like really one of the key things that was happening in 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 the early 2000s um yeah so so definitely that that one is great it, it's kind of academic-y but it's it's worth it's worth getting through it because the analysis is incredible and just the, the history of that moment is something that's just been sort of lost and it'll also help you understand like modern sort of Bolivian politics a lot because You'll understand it's like where these people came from, like what they were actually there to do. Yeah, and um, yeah. So, so the the second book um, I'm gonna recommend because I sort of always recommend it is uh, David Graeber's Utopia of Rules, which is one of my favorite books. That's it's it's basically you know it, it's a, it's a collection of essays that are in, in different ways looking at the problem of bureaucracy and looking at you know how bureaucracies work how specifically how sort of violence and the way that bureaucracy sort of simplify information are connected in very interesting ways in the way that that connects to governance. There's a, a very interesting argument about sort of, you know, how, 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 demo how like what we think of as democracy, like, like electoral representative democracy is actually an aristocratic thing. Uh, you know, and it's also, you know, it's David Graeber, right? So he's, he, and this, this is, this is the, this is the book of essays that he got published. That was like, He's like, I have a career now. I can just publish things. So he published this. And like, you know, it's like he has like he has this like his analysis of the state, right? It's like this is like his full presentation, the analysis of the state, and it's it's the whole thing is an extended digression, like of from from him making an argument about Dungeons and Dragons, and then like, like he, has, he has this analysis of fascism. The analysis of fascism is like this. It's 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 basically in the middle of him trying to explain what like trying to explain the politics of superhero movies. 
it's it's great he's yeah he's he's going all over the place it's it's really fun um yeah and and i think so the last book uh, I don't, th- this was the one i had probably i'm choosing number three because there's so many but um one thing that you should know is that everyone almost everyone always cheats and always recommends a fourth so it doesn't matter <laughs> i have no rules on this podcast <laughs> Okay, so the third one is this book called Carbon Democracy by Timothy Mitchell. And it's okay, so I I, I want to say right off the bat, the I I the very opening part of his analysis is kind of a mess because he doesn't understand the difference between you know, I, I say this admittedly as someone who is extremely guilty of lumping together a bunch of different left-wing movements, but he he doesn't quite understand exactly the difference between a bunch of people who want to nationalize something and a bunch of people who want to run something democratically by like unions or by councils or whatever. But with, with, with that caveat out of the way, it's, it's a really, really interesting account of the role of, I guess the academic term would be the specific materiality of, of different kinds of fossil fuels, but you know, like the, 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 the physical characteristics of coal and how, how you get it out of the ground and how you ship it and how it, how it moves across logistics lines and how, you know, what kind of consciousness that, that, you know, mining coal forms versus how, how, you know, oil is sort of how, how that's different with oil and how that like shapes the sort of course of history. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff about how, you know, it's, it's sort of broad argument also is a lot about how coal mining specifically is one of the things that generates the sort of the, the very militant 20th century workers movement because coal miners are extremely militant and then they have the potential to, you know, like a, a coal mining strike can, can actually just sort of, like just bring a country to its knees because the, the 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 way the sort of grids work and the way the sort of transportation works means that you could block one part of it and the whole thing goes under whereas oil isn't like that and in fact like strikes by oil workers actually make it because the problem with oil is that there's too much of it and so you, you in order to make money off of oil you have to make sure you have to you have to keep other people from drilling oil because if everyone just drilled oil that it would cost them like basically nothing and so, you know, in that context, strikes are ineffective because, you know, if you cut off oil production, you're just making oil more expensive and that's good for the company. And so, yeah, and it's, it's this whole thing about how that, that the, 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 the way that these fossil fuels like shape the 20th and 21st centuries is very, very interesting and very cool. And then I, I okay, short plug. Well, if you want to go for a fourth four. one, go for it. Yeah. All right. All right. Short <laughs> plug book four. So uh, the, the book that made me an anarchist. Is called Hata Shuzo and Pure Anarchism in Interwar Japan, which is about this. It's a really obscure struggle now, but you know, Japan had this incredibly powerful anarchist movement um, from starts in the sort of early, early 1900s and ends basically in the like they all get killed over the course of sort of the, the 1900s or the 20s. Um, yeah, but it's it's this really interesting account of this this battle that plays out where Hata Shuzo is one of the major theorist of it between anarcho-communism and syndicalism which isn't like we don't really have that in the west like that wasn't really that much of a fight like in in you know in in like spain for example famously like you know the cnt everyone the the, the, the revolutionary anarchist organization is the cnt fai right the cnt is a syndicalist wing but the reason the thing functions is that the cnt basically gets hijacked by the anarcho-communist group the fai right but but in in uh in uh what's it called in Japan, they fight it out, and like there's this like there's this great thing of like all the anarcho communists are like calling the syndicalist Bolsheviks, and like it's this whole you know. But there's a bunch of really interesting. They have a bunch of incredibly interesting theoretical battles about like, and actually this is this is part of 
you know, because because the anarcho communists have this critique of 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 syndicalism of democracy in the factory, which is about like, well, okay, but like you're still preserving the factory system. You're still preserving the system where you know every day you wake up, you go to a job, and you do the job, and you go home, right? Like it, you're 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 still preserving this divide. You're still preserving like preserving divides between the city and the country. You're preserving all of these sort of aspects of capitalism, and you know, and, and it also gets into the sort of like. Like Shuzo's an abuser. Like he's like sucks, and like in a lot of ways. And you know, and you have this. You have this sort of the the sort of like the contradiction of anarchism, which is that you have a lot of people who are doing a lot of things that are good, and then also they do a lot of stuff that's like really fucked up. And yeah, and you know, at the same time, like yeah, in Japan, like, like all these people get murdered. Like Shuzo. Shuzo's like the exception because he he like kills himself, but like everyone, like every other major anarchist theorist, like is murdered either by the state or by fascist paramilitaries. And so yeah, it's this sort of I don't know, it's it's a very interesting, kind of bleak-ish, but look at this sort of at this 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 struggle that most people have just forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of things. I while you were talking, I, I thought of this book uh i tried to have him on but he doesn't do audio interviews i'm gonna maybe uh, interview him by print um his name is shoko nishi is he has a book called anarchist modernity Um, the subtitle is corporatism and japanese russian intellectual relations in modern japan and it's just one of the most random stories um, random for my for my vantage that one can read and uh, i highly recommend it as well listeners you, you don't have to be an anarchist to enjoy that book the other thing is, um, I I knew David uh, like Reber from from SOAS days when I did my masters there, and it's one of my main regrets now not having him on because we had actually yeah. talked about it and he had actually like said sure, uh, but we just never did it and unfortunately yeah. he passed away. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Christopher, this has been long but super productive and, yeah. and oh, guys. Uh, oh yeah, it's fine. This. this <laughs> It happens all the time. As I said, there are no rules on this podcast. Uh, but yeah, uh, thanks a lot for your time. Um, keep up the good work, and I'm sure we'll be chatting again soonish. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on.
The Fire These Times is made possible by supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to support through a monthly donation, you can head out to patreon.com slash fire these times. If you want to explore other options, you can do so by checking out the website.